listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. You might be surprised by how often the solar system can come up in a grief support group, especially when we talk about how everything in a family or friend group gets rearranged after someone dies. The gravitational forces shift, and we're left trying to figure out our new orbital patterns. When Jessica Schaefer's partner of 25 years, Patrice, died of heart failure in March of 2021, she found herself untethered. She describes the process she went through in those early days of grief as reconstellating, finding her place in a new solar system without Patrice. While Jessica was reconstellating, she was also generating the seeds of creative expression, seeds that were originally planted by Patrice. In December of 2020, just days before she was diagnosed, Patrice gifted Jessica with an iPad after Jessica had made an offhand comment about wanting to learn to draw on one. When Jessica finally picked up the iPad, months after Patrice had died, she found an outlet for an image that had come to her in the first few days of grief. An image that grew stronger and stronger until she was finally able to draw it out. This discovery eventually led Jessica to start the Chrysalis Imagery, a company where she offers inspired imagery that celebrates the full spectrum of life. Jessica, thank you for making time to be part of Grief Out Loud. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Help us get to know Patrice a little bit. Like what in this moment feels right to share about her and about the connection that you share? Well, um, ooh, I get kind of chills even with that question. Um, you know, she was an amazing woman. She was um, brilliant. She was a, a body worker and a healer. She had this amazing sense of humor. She was very witty and she had just the biggest heart. She was born on Valentine's Day. And I think everyone who knew her was really um, impacted by just the love and the compassion that came through her. She was my best friend. She was absolutely the love of my life. Um, she was in my life for 27 years. We were friends for a couple of years before we started dating. You know, I spent the better part of my young adult and middle-aged adulthood with her. In some ways, it sounds sort of mythical, but in this small community where I live, people still, you know, two years after her death, talk about how they were thinking of her or talking about her the other day, or they felt her presence in their dream. So she had a, a really big presence and really big placement here in the world when she was here and even when she's no longer here. So not just with you, but with your community and the the larger environment, you almost had to share her a bit in that way. I Yes, I definitely had to share. And I was happy to share her. She was all about service. And so am I, maybe in a slightly different way. But um, nothing made me happier than just seeing her in the world being recognized for what she had to offer. So you're together, well, you're friends for like two years, and then you're partners for 25 years. You're living your, you know, your life together. And then 
And then the news comes, right, as the news comes. And I wonder what you remember about getting the news of her diagnosis and then the decisions that she made about what to do next. Yeah, I remember it really, really well. I remember it cognitively. I remember it somatically. Um, it was December 19th, 2020. She she was the one who delivered the news to me. Um, so it's not like I was in a doctor's office with her. I was on the computer doing something or other. And I remember her coming and saying, Jay, there's something that I need to tell you. And I need you to stop what you're doing and come lay down with me. And the moment she said that, I it's like I just knew you know, what I was about to meet was going to change my life. And um, we laid down on the bed and we held each other and she told me what was going on. Um, And she told me that she did not want to pursue treatment. And I heard her truth come through. You know, when truth comes from that soul level, it has a resonance. It has a quality that's really undeniable. And when we um, had our commitment ceremony, one of the vows that we made to each other was that we would, we promised to support one another growing into the most expansive expression of our divine selves, no matter what that looked like. And that moment when she told me what was going on and what her decision was, I just understood that was exactly what her soul was Um, aligned with. It was her truth, her deepest truth. And my only response was, what can I do to support you? Right. Even though my heart broke into a thousand pieces, um, it was never, there was never any doubt in my mind that it was really all about her from that moment on. What do you need? What can I do? And that was the moment that my grieving began because that was the moment that I had to start letting go. I'm just reflecting on that idea of being able to be with someone in this intense moment. You know things are about to change drastically, and you're able to hear so clearly the truth for her and what that was going to mean for you. That's not something a lot of people have access to, I think, on a day-to-day basis. And I'm wondering, how did that, how did you continue to hear that truth over the next few months between the news she shared with you and then when she died. Yeah, it I look back on that time too and sometimes I'm sometimes I marvel too, right? Like I know what I did cuz I lived it. Um Yeah, it's I can't really answer how. I just I what I I learned a lot about myself in her dying process. Um and I've continued to learn a lot about myself since she died. But um I saw that capacity that I had that I would have never known in that moment. And I'm not going to say that it was easy because <laughs> it's, you know, anyone who's listening to this who has experienced loss of any kind knows um, when you're losing something that matters to you, it's excruciating. And somehow I also felt like this really strong, aligned knowingness and strength come through. And and the only thing that I can say is I think it was just the depth of my love, um, not just for her, but for myself and kind of that spe- sense of spiritual connection, which has really s- sustained and supported me my whole life. And that was true for her as well. I think that's really what carried me um, so that I could have, you know, one foot really firmly um, planted in 
supporting and midwifing her process because I did. She died at home. It was a pretty intense two-month process. Um, and I also had to have one foot in the world, I, you know, working because I was the bread, the primary breadwinner at that point, and um, there was no backup. So it was a pretty tenuous time. And I didn't sleep a lot for a few months. So it's a little bit of a mystery to me how I did it. I just know that I did. Yeah. And so then talk, talk with us a little about, you know, there's like a two month intense process of, of, I think you used the term midwifing Patrice at the end of her life. And then there's the months after. So tell us a little bit about that, you know, first four, five, six months after her death. Yeah, I'm emotional just even um, going back there, you know, that it, the memories, they're still fresh. It's only been a couple of years, but boy, you can just go right back to that really acute uh, place. And, you know, I think what I'll illustrate is I'll tell a little story. She died at 9.11 p.m. on a, a Monday night. It was March 1st. And on Sunday that week, I needed something um, at the hardware store. And I live in a small coastal community, so the hardware store locally was closed. So I got in the car with my dog, Kirby, and went north, and it was pouring rain. And I decided, you know, we need to take a walk. So I was going to walk on this watershed up in the forest. And we were out there hiking in the rain, and all of a sudden I realized, oh, my God, nobody knows where I am. Nobody knows that I'm gone. There's nobody tracking me. There's nobody at home waiting for me. And I got terrified. And I think that was the moment where it really caught up with me, like what this meant for my life after 25 years of having this incredible community and this one person who loved me and I had so much safety with. So what I remember about those first months is just the overwhelm of woe, of just the aloneness. And um, I remember feeling pixelated, you know, just like there was a lot more space than substance in me. I was really cocooned. I, I really spent a lot of time inward. I had I wasn't isolating. I had people that loved me and were connecting with me, but I was very, very careful about where I went and how I spent my time. And in that time, there was this image that kept kind of cycling through me. I would see it in my dream time and I would feel it when I was awake. And it was this image of a, a female body in the ocean lying on her back with her arms outstretched. And she was just in this really, really, really deep bottomless water and she was in a state of surrender and below her suspended vertically in the water in the depths of the water was this humpback whale. And the words that went with that image were, no matter how alone and untethered you feel, there is a deeper mystery holding you. And so something about Patrice, she was, she was a sound healer and she was really connected to humpback whales. And in fact, she spent time um, swimming with them in their nurseries off the Dominican Republic. And so I knew that that was her really just letting me know that in whatever state of consciousness she had transformed into, that there was still a way that she was there on the other side. And so I had to get that image out. You know, it was just 
kind of bouncing around and kind of driving me nuts. Actually, it was like the pee in the mattress, you know, it was just like would not go away. Yeah. So that takes us to the infamous iPad story. So tell us, tell us that story. Yeah. So I, um, in the fall of 2020, one day I was just dreaming out loud about how cool it would be to be able to draw on an iPad. Now I've never drawn in my life. I had no background in art of that kind of nature, but some something in what I was speaking sounded like truth to her because she bought me an iPad, which was a pretty expensive gift to buy on a whim. Um, we don't didn't have a lot of extra resources, but she bought that for me for the holidays and she gave it to me as a gift. And two weeks later was the 19th when she told me that she was dying. So... Uh, I had this gift that was her last physical gift to me. Um, obviously, I put it away. I was in my acute grief. I was not thinking about the iPad. I had no brain for technology <laughs> or anything new. But in the fall of 2021, when this image was just there, I knew that I had to get it out. And so I picked up that iPad and started playing around with it. I took a little online course to learn how to use the application that I draw in now. And it was such a bizarre experience, but I uh, I found that I could draw. And um, it was this incredible unfolding that just kind of happened. I, I learned that I could draw an apple and then I draw, drew a, a peach and a raspberry. And then I thought, oh, let's try something different. I started drawing animals. Um, and then from there, I started drawing imagery that was coming through that felt really inspired in liminal space. And when did the image of the woman on her back in the ocean with the humpback whale, like where did that, how did that come forward? I think that came forward, I'm trying to think timeline. It's only been a little over a year since I've been drawing. I think that probably got created kind of around the same time last year after I knew that I could draw dogs. <laughs> and fruit. I went for the thing that was yeah, fruit and dogs. Um, I decided to try something a little bit more complex and to draw something kind of from the inside rather than something that I was seeing as an image in a photo. And so that was one of the first inspired images that I created. And it felt so relieving to uh, get it out and to be able to see it. And it also felt really healing. And I think that's when I started to have this thought that there was something here. Um, I didn't quite know how to articulate it, but I was so impacted. I, this was something I already knew about before Patrice died, but in my own grief journey, it really came back to land in a really articulate and highlight way, which is that um, people are so uh, unschooled around grief, right? They're just so uh, tentative and so uncomfortable. And they just, it's really hard for most of us to learn how to be or to know how to be with someone in grief or loss or adversity of any kind and not want to fix or, you know, make better or soften the sharp edges of their experiences. And so I had this really clear uh, inspiration to create a line of greeting cards that would speak to some of what I was experiencing, some of what I had seen um, my clients over the past many years experience because I've been a private practitioner for the last 27 years, holding space for people in a really soulful way. And that um, image of the whale and the woman, that was the first image that 
prompted that idea of like, there's something here that wants to come through and I need to explore this. I need to be willing to stretch in and open up to what this is. What started to shift for you as you moved into this place of artistic expression, having, I think you used the term inspired imagery come through, like what started to change? Everything. Yeah. I mean, and it's really emotional to talk about it because it's so bittersweet, right? It's like all wrapped up in having to let go of the the person that I loved and cherished, the person who loved and cherished me. It's wrapped up in the gift of something she heard at a soul level. It's wrapped up in my own grief process. And it's so interesting to realize that all of these things that have unfolded in this last year, because I I look back on this last year and what's changed since you know January of 2022. And I'm kind of blown away with what's happened. I, you know, I I did create a company. I did create a line of greeting cards. I am out there selling them both wholesale and online. It's just weird um, because none of this would be happening if she was still alive. And so it's like, there's a thing inside of me that truly has been a source of joy in my grief. I think when I drew that, that whale image, when I started drawing in general, but particularly when that whale image came out and I realized I was able to, to draw some of what I was feeling inside that was beyond words, there's a lot of joy in that process. And I haven't felt that kind of joy in a really long time. I don't know if I've ever felt this kind of joy. It's a very different quality to be creating. I wouldn't be having that experience if she was still here. And that the complexity of that is sometimes still takes my breath away. She planted these seeds. That's what it really feels like. She planted these seeds and there's something growing from what she planted. And I'm learning at one point, I I hope to rest in the shade of the tree she planted and she's not here in this physical world to celebrate and marvel at, you know, this evolution that's happening, um, which absolutely feels like what it is. And it's not an easy process. Uh, my grief is tied up in the opening as well. They go, for me, they they really go inextricably together. And I know that's not true for everyone's grief story, but for me, it really is. But it's very complex to hold and it's very bittersweet. My sense is that dissonance is, I mean, nothing's ever universal, but I would say like 99.9% of the time dissonance plays out in some way for almost everyone in their grief. What elements are on the either end of the spectrum of that dissonance can change, but there's often this internal struggle, this conflict between moments of joy and moments of grief and how do they exist at the same time? Do they cancel each other out? Is it okay to be moving into this place? That confusion and that uncertainty seems to be something that comes through for almost everyone in their grief. Yeah, it makes so much sense. I mean, I think that death and grief highlight, right, the core elements of life. And I teach people about the nervous system. And so I teach people about holding contrasting experiences and complexity and navigating uncomfortableness. So I have a lot of internal resourcing that's helped bolster me during this process. But um, nonetheless, you know, the complexity of this is like beyond anything that I've, I've ever touched. And yeah, it's powerful and it's beautiful and it's sometimes brutal. 
it's all of those things. You mentioned the idea that having this this new process in your life, this creativity, is as a result of losing something so dear and so valuable to you. Are there also ways that the creative process, the drawing that you're doing, helps you feel close to Patrice as well? Yeah, I mean, I think about it every time that I draw because I'm drawing on, you know, I until very recently, I just traded, I actually had to trade my iPad in to get a bigger iPad. It had so little memory. Um, and that was really emotional to let go of the gift that she'd given me. But it there was a happy ending to that story because my dad bought the iPad from me. So it's still in the family. But yeah, every time I draw, I think about her. And, you know, I think about her every day. I miss her every day. There, I still cry pretty much every day at some point. Sometimes it's in passing. Sometimes it's down on my knees kind of crying, you know, the real big fall on your knees kind of experience. But I do feel like the seeds of, there are seeds of her in what I'm doing. And I feel like with what I've started with the the chrysalis imagery, which is the company name that I've chosen um, and butterflies were really important to her too. So it's just really interesting how it's all unfolded. I definitely feel like she's in this and maybe in some ways still, you know, expressing through you know, the, our shared love and our connection. Um, even though this feels like it's really mine and I'm carrying it into the world. She's, she's not far from um, the things that I'm discovering as I move forward. And with your company, you have your inspired imagery, like the actual designs and the drawing, but then in your greeting cards, there's words that go with that. And they seem to be part of this effort to help people maybe become a little bit more comfortable or maybe not comfortable, but literate when it comes to being in grief and supporting others in grief. And where do you get the inspiration for the words that go with your images? Yeah, everything that I create really does come from more of a liminal space. So a lot comes to me during my dream time, or particularly when I'm waking. I have always been kind of a restless sleeper. So (laughs) I often will be up in the middle of the night for a period of time. And I usually take a hot tub. And that's also when a lot of kind of downloading comes through for me. There's a lot of insight that comes through, a lot of dots connect. And often I will wake up and there'll be words or images that are there that I have to write down. Um, Sometimes I just have the words, sometimes I have the images, sometimes I have both. And then what I usually do is I just kind of sit with that content until it feels ready to come through me. And so um, there are things that I've been holding for a year that I haven't yet drawn um, because it's not the right moment. And there are things that come through and I have to draw it that day. But there really is this feeling of whatever's coming through me coming not just from me, but from someplace beyond. Um, And so I feel like there's medicine, if that's not too... uh, strange of a word to use in what I'm creating now. You know, I've been, as I mentioned, I've been a practitioner for the past number of years. I've held space for people. I think a lot of what's coming through is what I've been doing and teaching for all of these years. It's just taken a a really different form. It's taking a very different form than me being one-on-one with people, but it feels like the same quality of presence and attunement that I've 
carried my whole life in my professional work, just showing up in a very, very different way. And the definitely the mission for me, there really is this strong intention. I mean, I have cards that talk about love and joy and celebration as well, for sure, because the the work is really about celebrating the full spectrum of life. But I have a lot of energy around wanting to normalize and support us recognizing that loss and grief and adversity happen to everyone, that we're not bad because we're struggling, that it's okay to want to pull the covers over our heads, that it's okay to feel like it's not okay. Um, These kinds of messages that I've been really teaching in my work for many, many years, but it's just, they're coming through in a really different form now. And that really feels like where I want to be going in this um, kind of more you know, I'm 54 years old, so I'm kind of entering this later, mature kind of into elderhood chapter of my life. And it does feel like particularly moving forward, right? Carrying the love of where I've been and how my life was with Patrice moving forward and imagining moving forward. It helps to have an entirely different life that I'm stepping into. It really has made for me, a huge difference in my grief journey to have things that are really new uh, because I find that I can inhabit that space and anchor to it without having the grief just constantly being, you know, claiming me. I'd never really thought about it from that perspective that the novelty aspect can come. The word that's coming to mind is unhinged, but that's not quite right. But this idea of being un untethered a bit from memory-laden spaces or memory-laden work or memory-laden ways of being in the world. Yeah. I mean, you asked earlier how how this has all changed me and it's it's changed everything, you know, and there are times when it feels overwhelming because there's so much shifting inside of me. It might not look that different to folks from the outside, but it just feels like an incredibly and entirely different landscape internally. And that is hard. And it's also just for me, part of what I have to continue navigating as I, um, you know, bring new structure to my life after this really seismic shift. It's interesting to me too, that all of this happened within the context of 2020 until now, 2023, or I think on a bigger scale, so many of us have gone through this process of significant change where the thing we took for, not took for granted, but the thing we relied upon, whatever that might be, shifted drastically. Mm-hmm. And then we all shifted in reaction to that. And then the world is kind of going back or trying to go back to where it was before, even though it can't. And we're like, where do we, f- how do we fit back in, even though externally we may look the same? Internally, things have really shifted uh, in a way that there may not have even been enough time yet to reflect upon that. Absolutely. I I completely feel that at every level of my being. I think um, my own personal experience has totally been uh, amplified by what's been going on globally and transpersonally. And I remember when the pandemic first landed, I think in the first month of it, I put out a public message um, on my YouTube channel for folks around navigating adversity. And one of the things I mentioned was, this is a threshold moment. This is not a moment where we're not going to go back. This is a moment that will change us forever. And I I spoke that really early on in the pandemic. Um, and you know, little did I know that 
you know, <laughs> that I, I would be, you know, feeling that at such a personal and intense level. But, um, it's, it was the same feeling I had the day that Patrice came and said, there's something I have to tell you, right? I just knew like I was about to step over a threshold and I would never be the same person again. And that is true, right? Her death changed me on so many levels <laughs> for so many reasons. And we could have a whole conversation about that. Uh, I know that, like, I know that there's only what comes from here. And I have to pace myself through the journey of discovering what is new and what is yet to be revealed and how do I want to organize around it. And and that is hard, gut-wrenching, sometimes bone-aching work. It's, you know, I think we think about transformation. Sometimes we like to talk about it as this romantic and really beautiful thing. And it and it can be beautiful and it can be magical, but it is also hard work. And I think in my world, most people don't see. I mean, I think I'm somebody who often makes things on the outside look really easy and graceful. It <laughs> does not feel that way on the inside. It feels really gritty. It feels really messy. Sometimes it feels like I'm dragging myself on my belly through gravel. You know, it's hard. And I think that is just the nature of grief. It is hard work. Jessica, I have a completely out of nowhere question for you. So I'm going to put it out there and you can say, I don't want to talk about that. But I was just thinking you have dogs. They're very important in your life. They're an important part of your life with Patrice. And we've talked on the show about grieving when a pet dies, but we've never talked about what happens to the pets when their person dies. And I wondered if you could share a bit about what that was like. Oh, yeah, I would be happy to. Anyone who says that animals don't feel is just not paying attention. So Patrice's death was compounded by the fact that um, we had two dogs, Hazel and Kirby. And Hazel uh, was a 12-year-old gorgeous Australian shepherd, red tri Australian shepherd with a split face. She died a month before Patrice of the same congestive heart failure symptoms that she manifested overnight. <laughs> the night that Patrice shut down her um, office, her massage office. She did a ceremony and she shut down the gateways of energy that were supporting her 45 plus years of work as a body worker. And it was a really intense experience. I mean, I cried for hours that night and Hazel was in that room and she would not leave the room. And the next day she had these symptoms and five days later she was gone. So Kirby, my eldest four-legged, um, he absolutely grieved. He was traumatized, I think, by Hazel's death because he didn't get to see her drive away. We were all traumatized by it. Um, it. It wasn't the ending that I would have chosen for any of my animals, but it was the best we could do given our circumstances. And um, he he was in a really deep state of depression even before Patrice died. And then when she died, I made sure that he was there and he got to be part of the shrouding and he got to be part of seeing the body go into the car and go away. He climbed into the vehicle with her and, you know, kind of smelled what was going on in there and then came voluntarily out before the car left. It's taken time for him to heal. I, before Patrice died, she uh, made me promise that I would get a puppy for Kirby because Kirby was her like 
Kirby was the dog that she manifested that she wanted her whole entire life. And she loved him with her entire heart and soul. And she was completely bereaved that she was leaving. And she made me promise that I would get a puppy. And I did three months after she died. Might've seemed crazy to the rest (laughs) of the world, but I did get a puppy whose name is Bodhi, like Bodhisattva or the Bodhi tree. And um, he has been the best medicine for Kirby and he's been good medicine for me too. But it took about a year for Kirby to start to come back out and to step back into ease and joy and playfulness. He was very serious for a good year. And it's only now that I'm seeing him return to himself. So yes, absolutely. (laughs) Animals grieve. Well, thank you for sharing about that. It's an aspect I think we haven't yeah, we haven't talked about on the show. And I don't think gets a lot of recognition in the Greek world as well. So Jessica, as we come more to the end of our conversation, what else? What else do we should we hear from you today? Well, I'm just this is just what's coming out spontaneously, I think. I think one of the things that feels really important to me Um, in talking really honestly about death and talking really honestly about loss and grief and adversity really of any kind is just a normalizing that it's hard, but also be kind of touching the privilege of life. And I think for me, this journey, losing Patrice, um, having to, reconstellate myself in the world and renegotiate who I am in the world um, beyond her. It's been um, really hard. It's also been really a privilege. It's helped me, I think, just really, um, not that I ever took life for granted because I don't, but I think it's made me just step into the complexity of life with more conscious awareness and appreciation. I really wish we lived in a world where we could talk really candidly and frankly about death and grief. I wish there were spaces where we could hold that together collectively with more integrity and um, compassion, because I think it's such an important piece of our living, right? To, To welcome death and grief and loss to the table. And for me, uh, inviting them to the table, because I really have, I mean, I stepped into grieving right away and have been pretty transparent about it with people in my life. I'm learning how to be a bit more transparent about it with people beyond my immediate circles, because I think we need to talk about it. We need to see people's stories. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about what you do with this podcast. Um, But I, I think inviting those realities to the table and learning how to sit side by side companionably is so important. And so I guess that feels like something that I feel really committed to just wanting to continue to do in my life, however long I have left to be here in this form and kind of the messaging that I want to, I want to try to help spread. Well, Jessica, so appreciating, you know, how you are already doing that work with your company, the Chrysalis Imagery, with your greeting cards, with prints that are available for the work that I imagine you continue to do in your private practice, bringing grief into a space of holding for others and for your willingness to share so openly with me today and and with our, our listeners. 
And for folks who want to connect with you more, like, can you give us the brief of where they should go? I put it in the show notes, but sometimes it's nice just to hear it too. Yeah, great. I have a website, thechrysalisimagery.com. And I also have a presence on um, both Instagram and Facebook. And the handle is at the chrysalis imagery. And people can look at the notes so they know how to spell that. <laughs> well, Jessica, thank you again for, for coming on. It feels really meaningful to be recording recording today, February 9th of 2023, as you're edging so close to Patrice's birthday and also to the anniversary of her death. So I appreciate you making that time and space today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Jana. And um, it's been really, actually really um, healing to have this conversation. I, I realize I don't talk about this very much anymore with others. And so uh, it's been rich for me to to have a little dialogue and to, to bring her in into the space. So thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. So listeners, see, you're helping our guests by tuning in. They're getting an opportunity to share their story in a way that feels healing for them. So thank you again, Jessica. And listeners, I say this each and every time, but thank you for making the show mean what it does for tuning in, for sharing episodes with people who might be affected positively, hopefully, in some way by the things that we're talking about here. I also really love it when you reach out to me, which you can do by emailing me at griefoutloud at dougie.org, which is D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. That's also the website for Dougie Center, where you can find all the past episodes of Grief Out Loud, information about our local programming, as well as free downloadable resources like tip sheets and activities. And I never want to forget to say I'm really excited to share that our podcast is sponsored in part by the Chester Steffen Endowment Fund. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time.